0: Hello everyone, my name is Viola Brugnatelli. I work for helping cannabis professionals, healthcare professionals, to understand something about cannabis and actually use it in their practice. We must work untiringly so that our children are obliged to learn it. Because it is only through knowledge that we can safely
1: Curious About Cannabis is dedicated to providing reliable cannabis science education to anyone curious enough to learn. To get access to free courses and other educational resources, visit learn.cacpodcast.com and become a Curious About Cannabis member for free. The Curious About Cannabis book provides an incredible crash course in cannabis science through over 500 pages of content filled with photos, activities, science experiments, games, and more to help guide you through your personalized cannabis education journey. This book has become a trusted textbook in colleges and universities across North America and is absolutely perfect for serious learners as well as cannabis educators, budtenders, clinicians, patients, and caregivers. And special thanks to the many individuals, companies, and organizations that have helped Curious About Cannabis meet our mission of becoming the number one trusted source of cannabis science education on the planet. This includes organizations like Credo Science with Ethan Russo, The Conigma, Treadwell Farms, The Spellman Report with Kevin Spellman, The Workshop, Green Earth Medicinals, CBD National, Magnolia Botanicals, and more. Visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsors to learn about our sponsors and go show them some love for helping us spread cannabis science education far and wide to anyone curious enough to learn. If you like Curious About Cannabis, consider checking out some of these other learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises. fierce and unyielding, grounding, yet transcendent. It's a curious thing. Let's explore it together. Isn't Life Curious? Available at
0: isn'tlifecurious.com or wherever you experience podcasts.
1: now back to the show. So how would you, to someone who has never heard of a G-protein coupled receptor before, how would you um, describe what they are and why they're important?
0: GPCR receptors basically is just a a way on how a receptor is working so first of all where are they located mainly receptors are on cell membranes they can either open like a channel so in that case they're called ionotropic receptors or otherwise they can start and activate uh, cascades And just to make it really understandable, uh, the G-coupled protein, the G-protein is a type of protein that can have subdomains. Usually, cannabinoid receptors are associated with more inhibitory subdomains. But what's relevant is that instead of opening and closing the membrane, they mainly initiate secondary cascades. And GPCR receptors are uh, widespread uh, among the, the body. They're incredibly present and actually the most present gpcr in the brain is cb1 receptor so cannabinoid receptor so that's uh that's our focus with the interest in a, in a endocannabinoid system well, and but this is not to say that there are no ionotropic receptors within the endocannabinoid dome <laughs> as was was preventing your your second question probably um I think it's really fascinating that when we look at what is cannabinoid receptors, we have gone beyond the definition of uh, CB1 and CB2. For example, myself, I come from this group of researchers that have been trying to find the CB3. So we have been looking at the CB3 amongst a, a class of GPCRs that are called orphan. The reason they are orphan, is not because they don't have parents, but actually they, they don't have ligands. They Well, they have ligands, we just don't know which are their endogenous ligands. And so my job was kind of trying to find who was the ligand, the endogenous ligand of some of these receptors because the belief was, and so is that um, receptors like GPR 55 or GPR 18 or even GPR 92, are presumably associated with uh the endocannabinoid system at large but as i said just now uh the 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 vast network of receptors of the endocannabinoid system does not only confine into these two uh, gpcr there is also there is ionotropic but there is also um Receptors that are positioned in the nuclei, in the membrane mm. of the nuclei, like PIPAR gamma or well, PIPAR with all of their subunits. And so, all of these different classes of receptors, why do we call them? They're not necessarily cannabinoid receptors, like, for example, vanilloid receptors, they can be considered cannabinoid receptors, but they are not called in a way because originally the people that, like me, are trying to deorphanize them. What they found out was that actually a different class of uh, plant molecules were activating the, the vanilloid receptor. So that's why the name uh, vanilloid rather than cannabinoid is mainly on what's the first molecule that we find out that can activate them.
1: Well, and it's, it's funny, the uh, sometimes the role that the nomenclature can play And and how we often think about receptors, you know, cannabinoid receptors, vanilloid receptors, all of these different um, types of receptors that often get named such based on how they were discovered or the types of functions that they're they're found to have. And sometimes I think it makes us um, think of these things as more separate than they actually are. you know and when you yeah. just think about G protein coupled receptors and ionotropic receptors more broadly and think about their their connections which is why I was really excited to talk to you today because um it, getting past the sort of simple concept of CB1 CB2 and trying to highlight just how complex the endocannabinoidome is and how interconnected a lot of these signaling systems are it does transcend this sort of idea of what is a cannabinoid receptor or you know how does cannabis or a cannabinoid elicit its effects? You know it, it does go beyond the sort of cannabinoid nomenclature into all of these other realms, which um, is, is really what I wanted to shine light on today. And I wanted to ask you, how did you get into this field? Like what draw you into trying to study these um, orphan g-protein-coupled receptors and to try to understand um, you know, sort of their place in physiology?
0: totally uh i'll come to this question but i i wanted to endorse what you just said about names because at the end of the day it seems a little detail but actually communication and wording that we use it's really important so i remember for example in the icrs of many years ago i would say 2011 it was proposed um to call molecules that activate you know because can, cannabinoids are endocannabinoids are uh, right. so it was proposed to call it like a cosanoid system in order to reduce the impact on the ear for example of parent of a child that then is going to use a medicine that contain cannabinoids or right. cannabinoid therapy to have to call that sort of like cannabinoid therapy or something like that so it would sound Kind of less scary in a sense like well it's something i don't really know so it sounds medical enough and does not have the name cannabis in it um so i think it's really important and also in science i've been fascinated on how you can call the same thing with different names, depending on whether you are a genetist, yes. you're gonna call, uh, yeah. you know, CNR1, but then if you're looking, if you're like a pharmacologist, uh, then you're gonna call the same thing, just CB1. And and the same, I mean, I had the same kind of issue working with, uh, with orphan receptors, because sometimes you just get lost, you're just really talking about the same thing. I would call them on base, basically, of their function. So rather than, say, um, GPR18, I would call it LPI because mm, that's, yeah. that's the ligand uh, that activates it, but not me, like my, my group and all of our group, yeah. and, uh, and, and I think this creates you know, this separation as well between groups and which from outside, it can seem like, oh well, they're all scientists, but at the end of the day, within science, even within the same topic, we are in completely different worlds, whether you are like trying to identify what's the, what's the, the, the gene behind a protein, what's that protein doing, uh, what are the biological effects, and maybe new drug or development of new drug or, sc- or screening of already existing compounds, onto that receptor, there are completely different type of scientists that are doing these yeah. things. And the moment they start to call the same thing in different Name with different names, uh, more separation comes about. There's more difficulty, I believe, into actually having a certain sy- synergetic work, w- which is so needed for something like cannabis. And so this issue is that completely, you know, potentiated when we talk about cannabis. So we really have some real conversations and I, I appreciate what uh, ASTM doing on this, mm-hmm. on setting, you know, nomenclature standards, because otherwise, you know, I have people that are calling me hemp oil, something that maybe another yeah, person yeah. is calling me cannabis oil, and mm-hmm. and so we just completely get lost, <laughs> and so thank you for pointing this out, this, this topic of the language, very Orwell inspired, but I think it's important. Yeah, I think so. How yeah. did I, yeah, how did I come about uh, studying this? Well i was uh, at the time i was still an undergraduate and i was studying neuropharmacology in uh, scotland which is a place that has been uh, doing quite a lot of work in uh, the pharmacology of receptor cannabinoid receptors and uh, for me it was kind of a no-brainer at the time i was still in my convinced that i would become a electrophysiologist or Ge, I don't know, pharmacogenetics, I, pretty much any topic that was presented to me, I was like, yes, I will do it, my five PhD on it, like, I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just generally love uh, studying, if I could do this, like, full time, uh, I, I would do it. And, and then we finally had a class of neurobiology or drug addiction, and in that class, uh, finally, it was presented, the whole topic on the endocannabinoid system and there it just clicked that that's actually really what i wanted to do and and then there was like the the usual summer uh, internship opening there were like five or six lab for a number of students so that there was like a very tight selection and usually what was suggested to kind of like the good students was to yeah try and attempt to get into one of these positions but at least to put you know a few selections so that you could have a but for me, it was like a no-brainer. I just want to go in the lab where they're working with uh, cannabinoid receptors. I'm just gonna put this option because there are no other option for me, and <laughs> ah, I got yes. the job. <laughs> That's got awesome. The job. Wow. And then that that summer, actually, I got two scholarship for that because I had the beginner strike luck working on GPR18, and uh, and so from there, it was just uh, it was just a no-brainer that that was going to be the the route but i got to say that after a few years of a very unglamorous work because at the end of the day being in the darkness of the lab (laughs) it's a very uh especially for an extrovert is a very tough job staying many hours in silence and most of the time in the darkness i've been doing a lot of work on fluorescence and then with rats, so all of these components they kind of need darkness uh i realized that also i was very interested in translating all of this work that was so beyond uh, actually, um, uh, pre- I'm not saying I'm not saying that preclinical uh, science is not important. Preclinical mm-hmm. science is fundamental because mm-hmm. it's replying to questions that most of the time co- companies or who is just looking at basically at the you know at the profit side right. won't even focus on. But without the basic knowledge, we cannot really go anywhere. So what I'm saying was that I had the feeling that we were going so kind of far with the science but we were still not addressing kind of fundamental issues that were happening. Mm. So on one side I had this like very dystopic situation of well we are here already looking at the potential of CB3 And for example, I come from Italy and every time I would go for vacation or something, I would go back in Italy, realize that over there, there was starting to be a medical cannabis law and like no, like people were still completely convinced that it was like a very dangerous narcotic. So I was like, okay, this is all great, but it could start to become just something for the sake of saying you know writing that a really amazing paper with the really amazing name that only probably five people on earth can understand and read and it's all kind of for our own ego sort of thing rather than actually being of service to you know that's so many people that could benefit from the basis of this knowledge and so that was what made me shift from um, the just hardcore science work into how do I translate this and and make it available for people and and use what I know and my skills so that I can convey this message onto people.
1: Oh yeah, and that's you know that's what really grabbed my attention was seeing a lot of the outreach and education work that you were doing, um, and it's it is it's it's something that I um, empathize with greatly because. That's sort of, um, you know, how I see some of my role is this translational interface between the science and research and um, everyday people and trying to bridge those gaps. And I'm so glad that you highlighted this issue that is really common in academia and a certain type, especially in like biomedical biotech research and stuff. This idea of the game is to you know, do research. So you write these awesome papers, you get a good impact factor, you know, um, and you sort of just kind of keep this wheel going of publication for publication's sake to try to get reputation points, you know, and it's it's a game that a lot of people don't really talk about explicitly, I feel like, and especially for younger people that are wanting to enter the sciences in different ways and are trying to understand um, what professions are actually out there and what they're getting into. Um, I know that when I was going through undergrad and grad school, it, it was not really um, made clear to me that that was sort of, that it's so easy to get into that cycle without kind of stepping back and asking fundamental philosophical questions about, oh, what are we doing? How are we impacting our communities and how do we you know, connect with people rather than just sort of operate kind of off in our, our little lab dungeons, which is what we do. It's what we get sucked into. And so um, I think that's really important to highlight. And um, a few things I wanted to to come back around on. Um, one, the icosinoid thing. Um, it's so funny you brought that up because when I talk to um, more, uh, I guess, kind of conservative physicians, That's the route I take to try to talk about cannabinoids without setting off any red flags. Just talk about icosinoids and you know and icosinoid signaling and they know about that and it provides a framework to kind of insert these things into that's not that doesn't have the same sort of stigma or or taboo. But then that leads into my next question which is what kinds of friction or stigma have you encountered As you've taken as as you've taken this step, you know, really out of the lab and and into the, you know, the public square, so to speak, and uh, to try to help people understand because there's really, you know, there's hyperbole that comes from both sides of the issue when it comes to cannabis and cannabinoids and their therapeutic potential. So can you speak a little bit of that? What was your experience initially and how has that kind of evolved as you've, you know, really Taken on that position of translator.
0: Thank you. that's a tough one. I, <laughs> look the fir- the first uh, the first one has been setting up a postgraduate course at the University of Padua. and I remember the day that we had the department having to take a decision over approving or not this course. We were going, we were in the corridor, myself and my the professor with whom we initiated this initiative and we were in the corridor, we were walking towards the room of where the department would have had this meeting and there were literally uh, some colleagues on the way that were greeting us like, uh, like this, <laughs> that we were the stoners yeah and that was a very welcoming uh, setup. So you can imagine that from there on to where we're now, uh, we kind of seen it all not just from the outside, uh, because that's kind of expected. i mean mm-hmm. uh, i in any of the countries where I'm currently in Spain, uh, but in in any of the countries uh, among here in Europe, there is no single government that is you know, supporting this. Yeah. So you know already that politically is not going to be easy. You know that that that's going to reflect. For example, in my private company, Italian company, is now. Uh, I just realized the other day that it's more than five years that it's going on, and I'm like, wow, am I this old? <laughs> like, uh, wow. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, this of course reflects as well with the uh, economic known support by Mm -hmm. your your country and so on but i think probably for me one of the toughest one in terms of you know difficulties and so on it's actually been internal issue so Mm. the thing is that my phenotype is that of a woman uh, looking young (laughs) Mm. and maybe not so much like uh someone that just comes from a lab all the time you know and and these <laughs> has enough. actually yeah. been a problem yeah. and and so for the first few years uh i just had to go through all of these very judgmental looks of what does this girl wants you know like uh <laughs> and, and it's yeah. been really funny as an experience because most of these uh amazing great manager of the business industry were from very big companies that were kind of treating us as completely irrelevant without understanding that actually we were a very important key for avoiding what then happened because the majority of big companies in italy then had to pack and leave because they completely yeah, they didn't make it to survive. Italy, basically. Yeah. Um, we pers- we just persevere in our work with a lot of, uh, you know, persistence and confidence that we were doing the right thing. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm still here. It's been more than ten years working in this industry. And most of these people, I don't really see them even working in the industry anymore. That's so right. what I'm saying is, yeah. the funny part of all of this is that you expect that with the department of oncology of the very uh, famous hospital there is going to be the difficult part right i remember mm-hmm. the first time that i was invited in this uh, meeting in in italy uh for is like the college of medical doctors because we 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 then gathered a lot of institutional support actually but of course to gather all of these institutional support i went through a lot of screening from all of these institutions and and i remember that i was like a little not worried but like a little anxious okay before Mm -hmm. entering there because i knew i would get roasted on pretty much any topic that you know already like the is the addiction topic, the adolescent topic, all of these topics that we already know. So, and and so you you're kind of prepared for that, and actually went super smooth, and we've been supported by some of the you know most important institutions for medical doctors and, and universities in Italy. But the the lack of support for real, and sometimes even the 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 block mm-hmm. has come from the industry itself. These are, I'm really sorry to say this, <laughs> mm-hmm. because yeah. I wish I, w- I was to say something else. But uh, because I feel majority of this industry does not operate, even though it says uh, when I'm talking about industry, I'm not considering. I'm talking about the medical medical yeah, side of yeah. it. Okay, so and and despite I'm talking about the medical side. Uh, the majority of uh, of these companies are operating with, also people operating within these companies with no background in pharma, with no yeah, background yeah. in medicine. So they stop at the appearance <laughs> because, because they cannot address the content basically. And, and so they lack the understanding that you cannot market activate anything within medicine or healthcare if you don't work in the same way that actually pharma has been doing. Like there is no point of reinventing the wheel in there and yeah. thinking you can operate as it was a consumer goods. I mean, it works if it's a consumer good, but then we're talking about a different type of market. So yes. yeah, yeah I, I know it's not amazing for who is listening probably from within this industry, but I think it's also important to have a self-check Mm-hmm. um yeah. on on ourselves and kind of like trying to understand where where and when are we bringing with ourselves a bias because we always do anyway
1: absolutely yeah there's always always a bias yeah and our goal is to try to be as self-aware as possible um no i i think that's that's a really good point and what are what are some of the most common I guess uh, misunderstandings that you run into when um, you know when you're facing some of these audiences that you know are kind of um, going to be more skeptical or more um, resistant to hearing what you have to say what are some of those kind of common ideas or, or misunderstandings that you kind of have to combat over and over again
0: you kind of mentioned a couple yeah, I think, for example, one of my happiest achievements, although absolutely not monetary, because it was for a public hospital in Italy, so you can imagine, <laughs> um, it was actually, so we have uh, this uh, type of uh, public Um, They are part of public healthcare and they are distributed nationwide and basically they are a center for harm reduction. Mm -hmm. And these these centers that are run nationally, they're kind of famous to be, you know, the one that will enforce you methadone and will tell Mm -hmm. you that even if you drink two coffees a day, you are an addict which yeah. in a sense is true okay but I think the real problem of addiction is understanding what is deteriorating your life yes. and your capacity yeah. to okay. you know uh, run a happy life with good quality of life so if those two coffees a day are ruining your life and your ability to have a work and have relationships then okay I understand but then otherwise the problem is not the substance it's the use of the substance and so for me one of the biggest achievement was actually uh two or three years ago was uh, holding this uh, large lecture in bologna uh to uh, psych psychiatrists and neuropsychologists of this centre that of course have been enforcing these ideas onto their patients for years. Uh, talking about actually cannabis for a way to reduce the use of opiates in, during the harm reduction procedures. And of course you can imagine how it all started with them completely, like for them, of course, cannabis was one of the issues that their patients have. Right, right. And yep. and at the end of the session, uh, some of them actually, then uh, now they're writing me and they're documenting me how they're using it. For quite successfully, actually, to drop off as well methadone because then otherwise there is that problem of having like years and years and years of methadone. And so um, I think it's really about arriving already with understanding of who's your audience and understanding what are going to be the key points that they want to address, they need to address. What what are their issues, and how I'm going to help them out sort solving these issues. So for example. For us, we we listed the type of specialties amongst doctors that are easiest or most difficult to speak to. So just to give you yeah. just to give you an example, the, the we found, and I believe it's the same in the in your part of the world too. But uh, you you'll tell me about it. In in this part of the world, the the easiest specialists to talk to are pain therapy doctor, mm-hmm. anesthesiologist, but also dentist. And the reason it's so because these are Type of doctors that are very used to prescribe much uh, more narcotic drugs than cannabis.
1: It, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: that's, you know, so for them, it's kind of like, wow, very, very safe therapeutic window. Wow, this is actually a pretty sound compound, compared to everything right? they normally work with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they just look with benzos and, and opiates, and this is amazing. And on the other spectrum, what we found, uh, some of the most difficult group of uh, specialists to talk to are cardiologists Mm. because of course Mm -hmm. as you know uh, i mean i think cannabinoids actually can hold a very very important place for cardiovascular disorders but you need to really know the pharmacodynamics of cannabinoids otherwise you can create issues in a patient with cardiovascular disorders. so there most of the time they kind of stop at it can create issues i'm just not going yeah. to use it and mm-hmm. this is evil and <laughs> uh yeah like <laughs> kind of and then the other as well group two groups that we found kind of hard to to open conversation but they're finally starting to wrap around it uh, paradoxically because are two of the groups that could support the most the access for medical cannabis is actually oncologists and neurologists, because mm-hmm. as you know, like these two big areas uh, address so many of the symptom management that I, uh, cannabis can give relief to, but tend to be kind of the uh, the type of doctors that are uh, not so willing to reopen their understanding of mm-hmm. uh, the body after they've been taught, you know, medicine. Yeah. Uh, in a way that did not include the endocannabinoid system, so the only thing that they see about cannabis, I'm not. Obviously, this is a generalization. I'm not yeah. talking about everyone, but the the only way they see cannabis most of the time it's like it's a narcotic. So why would I want to add, you know, uh, something toxic, basically mm-hmm. in in into my patient that is already ongoing a quite serious illness, because either I'm in oncology or I'm in neurology, the the situation is quite, it's quite important. So in this case, and this has been a bit of trial and error, but also recommended to me by doctors themselves, it's really starting from the end. So that's why, for example, in the in the book that we were going to release, uh soon there is we also added on top of you know okay this is all the science this is all the literature but then i really wanted to add case studies from doctors around the world and this is what i mean with starting from the end like look uh, this is not a magic bullet but look at this situation and look at this other situation and i I am not trying and no one is trying to claim here that this is curing anything yeah this is yeah you know but if we just want to look at symptom management Look all the things like when you go to an oncologist, I think before addressing the potential because I think it's really important to address the potential of cannabinoids for cancer therapy as as a therapy on its own right, as right, a, a yeah. pro apoptotic therapy. But the first step it really needs to be like okay you would prescribe A B C D to just as a palliative basically to support decrease of nausea, increase of appetite, right. decrease yeah. of pain, improvement of mood, uh, decrease of uh, insomnia. So you can substitute all of these with one compound. Isn't that amazing? And actually then you have you know all of these people and all of these case studies and all of these studies that are telling you that the patient itself feels better. So why wouldn't we try and address this situation? And then as you start to, I, I find it that it's kind of like step by step. So I also, I've been going through this with the, uh, with personal journeys of friends and, and and their doctors. And so in that case, I was like, can you speak to my doctor? Yes, but I won't say everything, you know. Yeah, I just yeah. let him start and start to see the results. It's like I'm not trying to... Uh, pushing all of this information all at yeah. once. Just I let also the data kind of,
1: kind of tell the story yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Need to loop them on, on some um, final results that they're struggling to obtain. And then from there, kind of like build it up. because. Otherwise, it's going to be a really long conversation. If we look at, oh, look, but for a fibromyalgic patient, it's going to be so useful cannabinoids because actually we see that there are, you know, palmitoyl tetanolamide levels yeah. that are lower and so on. Like, it's such a long conversation. Then they they may think that you're trying to say that you rescue the disorder, which you can. I mm-hmm. believe you can in some instances because, for example, for Uh, GI issues uh, many of them um, you can obtain a a rescuing of the disorder so and I know many ex cancer patients that would tell you this but unfortunately we don't have the solid science to tell you so does it really make a difference to your patient if we say that his pathology hasn't recovered but actually he he or she does not experience any of the symptoms right (laughs) you know? <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you as a doctor are feeling more comfortable into this, and at the same time we're managing to help the patient, so it goes back to language choice. And 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 it's funny. Like recently, actually, I had a, a doctor from Switzerland that is one of our students that just was about to do the the exam and just text me saying i finished all the classes i'm about to do the exam but i'm very confused about what one of the doctor in the in the course said because the doctor kept repeating that you know, this is just symptom management and it's not curative and why, why? I find in my practice this is really curative I said, so, look, we need to say this thing because not everyone yeah. is like you, not everyone has put it into practice. And so, uh, you know, it also to abide to what's the current status in no country in the world in this moment, cannabis is prescribed or can be prescribed as first line right i i wrote a paper a few years ago on uh, proposing modulators of the endocannabinoid system as first line for irritable bowel syndrome for example Mm -hmm. but uh, unless we start to you know especially for pathologies in which we don't really have a clear first line unless we we have the courage to start to do it, and I think yeah. this courage for doctors can be inspired by our side on you know collecting the evidences, putting them together, and also seeing what's the worst that can happen. Like what right. is the worst that can happen if you administer, uh, PA or CBD or limonin or whatever that needs to be. So that's that's usually also for me. It's kind of like the reverse psychology of looking yeah. at their 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 worst scenario type of situation, and worst scenario type of situation usually are uh, young people, uh, under yeah. 18, so a pediatric type of um, group, <clears throat> uh, usually people that come from a history of psychiatric disorders, and uh, and maybe with uh, some cardiovascular right.
1: issues. Yeah, just stack it all. <laughs> okay. Stack it all on. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. maybe yeah.
0: even with uh, a metabolic syndrome or obesity. Mm-hmm. And there, and there though, it's really beautiful because at the same time you can show them how the beauty of this uh, I call it phyto complex. You Not know, this. Yes. This, uh, complex of, of molecules contained in this plant. When you understand how each of them actually has a different role on what we said at the beginning of this episode, the, the endocannabinoidome, then actually you can operate with cannabinoids on a person yeah. that has a metabolic disorder, is under 18, has cardiovascular issues, and has psychiatric issues. But probably you're going to really help this person with cannabinoids. But you can really mess it up if you use the wrong one. So so that's why we go back to what you're doing, or to what I'm trying to do as well, which is education.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you just opened the door. I'm going to check our time here. But... We've got just a little bit of time i want to make sure that we we don't gloss over this thank too much. you so
0: much a lot thank of,
1: you yeah no a lot of folks um are not familiar with uh pea and oea and you just mentioned them so i want to highlight that because i have a personal connection to these two compounds and my own personal experimentation that i've done on myself because i have some neurological issues and things um pea and oea are interesting because they have been available for instance in the united states they've been available as dietary supplements for quite a while widely <clears> available um people have been using them for quite some time um, not to mention the natural sources of these things too um and it turns out that these compounds are quite similar to our endocannabinoids um they have different um some some overlapping and some distinct targets um in the body. So. Uh, I don't know that I've ever talked about PA and OEA on an episode. So, in the last like ten minutes that we have here, let's shine a little bit of light on these compounds because I think they're, I think it's really important in terms of opening people's perspectives on on kind of what modulating the endoc- endocannabinoid system means and the tools that are available to to do that because it it really does go beyond our traditional concept of cannabinoids. So. Um, yeah, how would you describe PEA yeah. and OEA and their activities in the body?
0: Uh, so, P- PEA and OEA, they're called simil cannabinoids, simil endocannabinoids, because they are exactly what you just said. They are molecules that we produce as well in our own body. But as you said, and I'm so happy that actually in the United States, it's exactly the same thing that over here in Europe, they are free of prescription and uh, available as nutraceutics. Now I don't really know apart from uh neurologists like very enlightened neurologists that use them for patients with MS mm-hmm. so many doctors that have been using them I have been uh recommending PA as a compound for so many different uh pathologies because at the end of the day okay so the mechanism of function is not as yet not been completely understood What we know is that they work on PIPAR, they work on on FA, so we know some of the targets, uh, but it seems that actually it kind of increases the endocannabinoid tone in ways that we are not completely clear about. It's funny because we should since uh, the beginning of all of this work has been done (laughs) from the great Nobel Prize Rita Levi Montalcini from so many years, so it seems to me pretty absurd that molecules that hold so much promise, uh, they've still been left kind of secluded in a space in which, for example, now probably, okay, companies that are listening to this do this and never <laughs> quote me for this, but I still haven't seen a single product out there containing a phytocannabinoid together with a similar thymic- endocannabinoid. Yeah. And this is what I've been doing actually for rescuing my own GI issues years ago completely recovered and um, why Well, it's a great anti-inflammatory so basically if i need to give you the basic of what it is and what it does it's a great anti-inflammatory now inflammation can be such a really broad uh, topic so that's why it's a molecule that we we see they use literally from uh, systemically i've seen it used with successfully from uh decreasing neuropathic pain and inflammatory pain mm-hmm. of different origin whether that's visceral that whether that's uh, at the cns uh but i also seen uh compound compounded uh, formulations of pa for uh, topical use yeah. and this has been and has been tested as well and it's pretty useful for something like atopic dermatitis so inflammation can result in so many different um in so many different pathologies uh, so far i pretty much anything i've seen it tested on it kind of uh, holds the promise for great success for example three three years ago there was as well a clinical trial in south of italy with pa used for COVID patients and mm-hmm. also there worked really well and i actually used uh, PEA for myself and my family in early stage of COVID, and it worked perfectly. Uh, so, you know, of course I'm not recommending this for late stage right, and everything, right, course, but, yeah. but inflammation at the beginning, uh, can be rescued by PEA. And one of the great thing about these compounds, as you said, is that because they are nutraceutic and because we produce them, you don't really have side effects. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. and this is a really good part because of course um i mean when we talk about cannabinoids uh, the type of side effects that we can we can that can show up are not particularly severe although yeah. You know things can happen like uh, the case of uh, that fine inhibitor and uh, the whole tragedy around the clinical trial and the fine inhibitor and yeah. so on yeah, yeah
1: yeah
0: or as as you remember as well the whole tragedy around c b one antagonists with yeah, the right, band right. with yep. withdrawal <laughs> so C- cannabinoids can potentially, you know, have create issues, but not for compared to like the majority of drugs and compounds that mm-hmm. we look at in medicine, they're they're pretty safe. But when when you look at things like PA, for me, is one of the absolute safest, even compared, especially when compared to cannabinoids and terpenes as well, because terpenes, I think there is this idea uh of turpens because they are you know they're the aroma of plants they're like aromatherapy some people think that they just don't work okay and then some other people think that they work but in a sort of like magic way yeah. And yeah. so uh, for sure because they come from the plants they're not dangerous. But actually I've seen people hospitalized because they they tried to, to 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 drink some some essential oils. Oh yeah. And yeah. with their with their esophagus completely burned out <laughs> yes. burned, you know. Yes. I, I remember myself when I was using uh, pure turpens in the lab. Uh, very naively no one in there was working with turpens, so I started my job and I was using a uh, plastic pipette. Uh-huh. And then yeah. just to realize that I could not use plastic pipette. I could not hold Appendorf with turpens because everything was going to melt. And I was at the beginning, I was like, what am I doing wrong? What's going on in here? What's happening? Yeah. No, it's just the turpen. Like I need to use glassware. This is what's happening. That's so right. when, yeah, when you, when you, and, and I think this is a really good, um, uh, you know, it's just example of how sometimes we are underestimating the the not only the potential but also uh, what really compounds are when they come from, from nature. Yeah. And so yeah. in this sense, yeah. uh, you know, going back to PA and OAA, which I haven't OAA, I haven't seen sold uh, at least in, in my country. But I don't know whether in the States it's sold as well. It's
1: not as common, but you can you can usually hunt it down online. But um, you know, there's always questions about how well the quality control is is established there. It is it is a lot harder to find
0: But uh but yeah, I I I think in this in these two with these two compounds it's really going back to well, we are producing this thing. Actually, we don't we don't, yeah. pr- we don't mm-hmm. produce any limonin, you know. <laughs> Although, of course, if we go back to the old geranyl pyrophosphate uh, yeah. father, yes, okay. From there and from the first, well, uh, from farnesyl uh, pyrophosphate. So, going down that yeah. cascade, then you go into a mevalonate pathway, and and yes, that's stuff that we do in our body. But that's gonna be like our you know site for insulin and so on so it's it's kind of it's kind of a little bit different and i know that uh for some people maybe outside the the old chemistry realm uh adding just a, a couple of carbons here and there doesn't look like a huge difference but uh, yeah it can be a huge difference Well, even <laughs> so, though the
1: chirality of these things you know can make such a big difference exactly um, exactly it's i think people underestimate you know just how different um sticking on the the concept of terpenes just how different A terpene can be depending on which enantiomer of it you you you're working with uh, both in its aroma as well as potential farm you know pharmacological effects it can be you know the left hand and right hand it matters which one you're working with
0: totally so no i'm I'm happy that uh, the whole terpene conversation is raising more and more attention, although I think uh, probably not the right type of attention. And uh, I look forward to finally, maybe in the future, also other molecules that are present in the Mm -hmm. plant that have uh, amazing, just for once, antioxidants, even if we just want to look at just that, you know, the the free, um, getting rid of free radicals, uh, effects like flavonoids are hopefully going to get more attention. I, I think, you know, the fact that uh, the cannabis plant, yes, has so many different terpens, but at the end of the day, all of these are produced also by an, any other plant, right, not any right. other plant, but like other They're, plants. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're in common with other plants, right? But I think the really fascinating part is when we look at flavonoids, actually, yes, there are. we discovered less than turpens, way less, but we already discovered as well two classes of uh, of flavonoids that yeah. are exclusively produced by the cannabis plant. And that is extremely fascinating. From 1981, or uh, 1980 anyway, there was this publication from Professor Appendino uh, on, on CFA. Yeah and its anti-inflammatory properties that is really outstanding like just showing how much better than aspirin it was and i we are here in 2023 and i cannot buy any cfa capsule can you right right <laughs> you know but i can buy aspirin like quite yeah. easily so so th- wh- so i mean what's missing is it missing buyer or is I've it missing wondered, the efficacy of, of cannabis and its compound?
1: I've really wondered that. What is the missing force here? Because I've thought the same thing. You know, I thought people would be, you know, sort of excited and and hyped up about flavonoids about five or ten years ago, and it's still it's yeah. like people are. It's getting there, but it, it you know it's still dragging. And I know there's some limitations in terms of you know on the you know, my background in the testing lab side for a while, it was just hard to get reference standards for things. And so it's hard yeah. to, you know, actually give producers good information on whether these products they're making or what they think they are. Although now um, things have come a long way. A lot of chemical providers have standards for all these things. Um, so I really hope we see more creativity and, you know, going back to what you mentioned, um, you know, not many people are mixing phytocannabinoids with these, you know, kind of endocannabinoid congener compounds, you know, and and making these these interesting formulations. If anyone listening wants to um, hire me as a consultant, I've had these thoughts for a long time, <laughs> these products that need to yeah. exist, um, yeah.
0: but it's, it's a shame. I feel you so much.
1: It's like, come on. And then I remember but
0: this is I think you're touching exactly. Sorry to interject, no, but ahead. you're touching the point. This is what I said when I was talking about what's the problem. The problem is within our own industry, because if our own industry continues to hire People that are coming with a Coca-Cola and oil background, <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. they're going to continue missing out on what's in their face, yes. actually, because yeah. this stuff has been on our face. And for anyone like yourself and myself that actually has been observing uh, the, the the physiology of the endocannabinoid system and the plants, it's kind of like at this yeah, point it's like old it's becoming old ideas. yeah it's like this yeah, isn't even new why anymore why can i not buy it somewhere already No, and and they're still there trying to figure out what's the best packaging for or <laughs> shall i call it yeah here in europe now certainly this trend of calling medical varieties with uh, Kali names so yes. that they sound more appealing to people and i'm just like is this how we're making medicine? Exactly, like, this is, is what we're spending our, our things, mental energy right? like, on.
1: Yeah, I know. There's the- so,
0: so yeah, companies listening, like actually start to hire someone that understand the topics. And when you're thinking that you're having such a great idea, um, you know, getting the very, the, 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 the amazing consultants uh, on, whatever your marketing that's great <laughs> um but uh your marketing stuff that actually does not make sense most of the time because you haven't done the the r d done properly with someone that actually understands it and this and this reflects i'm sorry but this has been reflecting for now all of these years of this industry yeah. which is new and that moves fast but in this moving fast i I don't see it really progressing. <laughs> unfortunately. It seems to
1: be kind of spiraling right now. It's, it is. Yeah. It seems like the wheels are kind of stuck in the mud and spinning. And it's, you know, I, I hope we see some traction. And I know we need to wrap up, but I wanted to note um, sort of highlighting this whole thing of like, why have they not done this or this or this? Um, it's a shame, you know, I saw the passing of Raphael Mashulam recently. And the only conversation I was able to have with him while he was alive was um, through email. And he, we were talking about how weird it was that no one was even feeding humans anandamide yet. Like, how is it that we, you know, we've studied all these things, but no one's doing just even basic clinical work to see what happens if you feed a human anandamide or 2-AG. Um, you know, it's wow.
0: yeah. just really yeah. basic,
1: really super basic. Yeah. Um, and he, he that was something he commented as like back in 2020 uh, 20 or so. Um, he said that was something that he, he really hoped, um, we would progress through faster, you know, just start, Let's we'll see what happens. We know these things, you know, they're made in our bodies. We know how safe they are. Um, let's start seeing what happens when we start formulating with some of these things and, um, you know, and make some actual practical progress, um, that gives us a lot of more useful information a lot faster. Um, but, um... I don't know. And this is a good way to cap things off. I hope this gives people he, a lot to think about. A,
0: yeah, it has been an incredible mind, and I am um, just really gutted that the he never received the Nobel Prize, yes. honestly. Yes,
1: same. Yeah, uh, I know.
0: This yeah. is uh, just the biggest regret, but I, I've i been year and years, over the years, always inspired about his classes, his lectures. and. And I think one of the ones that struck the, the, the most for me was actually how, I don't remember, I think it was in uh, in Poland, maybe in 2016, in ICRS, when he uh, held this key lecture about the differences. You know how we have polymorphism on the endocannabinoid yeah. system and we have differences on the endocannabinoid system. And so what he was saying was it, perhaps if we look you know, and now with with uh, also with AI and with mm-hmm. better inform in, informatic tools, we can put in like huge amount of data. And what if we start to see that actually all these differences are also what characterize everyone's different personality? Yes. It was yeah. such a... Yeah. He, yeah. I loved how it started to intercross, you know, very hardcore science with a very humanistic and, if you will, Uh, what's beyond the matter type of science Yeah. and I find it absolutely fascinating so I am just uh, upset that he didn't get the Nobel Prize in time basically or that the Nobel Prize people didn't get him on board in time but I'm just incredibly thankful for the amount of work that this man not only has done but also the amount of work that he has been recommending us over the years to be doing
1: Yes, exactly. Which,
0: as you said, like in an email conversation with you, and then it talks about, hey, well, maybe in our heads, it's like there is no bioavailability of anandamide, but have we tried it yet?
1: Exactly, yeah. And... Like, do we actually know? <laughs> like, have we have we actually done this in humans? Or are we just making assumptions? That perspective, yeah. that was one of the greatest things. Um, you know, he he was always able to bring his unique perspective to the whole you know, conversation and and drive new questions, better questions, better ways of looking at things. Um, And yeah, it is it's it's crazy that he was not onboarded to to get a Nobel Prize. When you look at the history of Nobel Prizes through for science, um, it's obvious that that he deserved one. And I think um, history will definitely reflect that, especially when there's just so many scientists that have been, you know, saying the same thing. That um, this was somebody who clearly deserved it, and um, just the institutions dropped the ball big time. Um,
0: yeah, and probably this goes back to the somehow, yeah, it, somehow there are a lot of governments that are still not so ready for yeah. this topic. But someone like him really, you know, from when he started this whole thing, uh just really it took a leap of faith, yeah. I mean they started their work on a block of ashes taken from the police right, in, right. In, in Israel. So imagine from there all of the work that we've done afterwards, it comes from there, so definitely there has been a, this I think shows that when even a single person takes a decision and commits to that decision with seriousness and perseverance mm-hmm. and commitment actually great changes can come around so just don't give up don't give up like your thing matters it's like a little drop that would carve a stone but it does matter
1: absolutely everything's connected and um things trickle out and cascade in ways that are often far beyond our perception but are very real and affect a lot of people um well i think that is a, a great place to um to stop this episode, I know I, I ran you a few minutes um, past time, but this is a I'm re- Italian.
0: Re- I can go with it. I'm late. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yeah. Well, it's
1: a really great conversation. Um, I've been looking forward to connecting with you and making this happen for a while. Um, I'll throw in the show notes and everything links to um, all of your work, um, the book that you have coming out that you mentioned, um, and, you. and everything else you have going on. So, with that, everyone's been Likewise listening. Likewise,
0: was was amazing for me uh actually have this interaction with you you know i really appreciate intelligent conversation and oh, you, you are one of these people that finally <laughs> finally oh, i can you. interact with. uh no no i'm joking every day i i have a lot of intelligent conversation with people that is not me of course uh but no i think it's a it's a rare thing to find as i said uh people that are willing to disseminate actual knowledge and this is so vital because otherwise we start to disseminate uh cannabis saves everything and it's a magic potion and all of this stuff it's actually more damaging to the industry than anything else
1: yeah no absolutely i totally agree and um likewise um really enjoyed having a conversation with someone who Already uh, knows what um, OEA and PEA and uh, all of these other things are. Um, very, very nice. Um, and I hope everyone listening. I hope you got something out of this conversation. We really hit on a couple of, you know, really big ideas as well as you know all of the technical stuff that we went into. So um, I hope this was valuable. And um, I look forward to catching up with all of you next time. So with that, everybody, stay curious and take it easy. Bye bye. If you're curious about cannabis like me then get connected to the curious about cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together visit cacpodcast.com connect to join our learning community on our discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways dive into the latest cannabis research connect with certified curious about cannabis educators hang out in our break room with other curious minds and more Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com connect to learn more. Or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.